one. What is up? Happy Tuesday, April 6th. This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your somewhat hobbled host today, Randy Hammond, and I can get to that if you'd like, Matt Bushnell. But you're here. We got more draft talk to go today. Uh, episode 53. Who's the first player that you think of when it comes to number 53, Matt? Man, you're asking me all these questions, and I don't know <laughs> where to get to 54 and 55. <laughs> I, I got names for you, but 53, oh boy. I'll get back to you. All right. Well, I have Giants legend Harry Carson, legendary linebacker in the 80s, uh, led the Giants to a Super Bowl win in Super Bowl 21, I believe, uh, back in the day, back in 86, alongside Lawrence Taylor. So that's who I go with here. Harry Carson. Also, Navarro Bowman made me, th- made me think of him because we mentioned Patrick Willis for 52, and Bowman was uh, another great linebacker the Niners had in that time. All right, we have a great show for you today, if I say so myself, Matt. Uh, any weather update for us, though, before we jump right into the news? Hot. <laughs> um, it, it's 89 right now. It, it was oh, 98 degrees on Saturday. So it was um, it was a hot one. It was a hot one. And we're just trying to make it out of here, Randy. It's hot. It's hot. You know what? It's getting warmer up here in upstate New York. So it's spring is in the air. Love it. Uh, really love the weather this week. Uh, so much so I went and tried to be athletic for the first time in six months yesterday. And I played a little pickup basketball with some friends. And if you know me, I've had my right knee surgically repaired. I had tore my ACL, my meniscus a long time ago, and I had that surgically repaired. I've had high ankle sprains galore on my left ankle. And then I busted up my left knee trying to overcompensate for my right knee. And then yesterday I just completed the quattro and, and sprained my right ankle. So here we are. The only good joint I had left in my legs is my right ankle no longer. So today I'm doing a show with some ice wrapped around my ankle, trying to reduce some swelling. So this is what happens when you try to be athletic and when you're overweight and you're not really that athletic anymore, you end up being me uh, crippled and hobbled up here, but I'm still could talk and I can still talk about football with you, Matt, and I'm here ready to go. Yeah. Well, you're playing hurt, which is what I would expect. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, this is a football show and football is a tough guy sports. So we're going to talk about talk about it while doing some tough guy things of our own let's get right into it matt bushnell we have news and it is quarterback carousel news the former number three overall pick in the 2018 draft sam darnold much to our friend Vince mercadetti's delight (laughs) traded from the new york jets to the carolina panthers uh this has been rumored for weeks and you know didn't with the new regime there with the jets he didn't know if darnold was going to stick around or he was going to be moved and carolina decided he's going to be a guy that they look to uh try to salvage uh in this deal let me pull up the details the jets will receive a sixth rounder this year and in 2022 they get a second rounder and a fourth rounder so all things considered i think that's a pretty good deal for the jets i don't know who was offering more than that for sam darnold and you know you look at the body of work from for sam darnold so far i don't really know how much he was worth and i still think this might have been might have been just a little too much you know, they always say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I have plenty of Sam Darnold issues. Um, his footwork is sloppy as it was when he first came into the NFL. Uh, poor decision making. It's, it, you know, probably 60-40 in poor decision making. And just his mechanics are just still a little bit off. And to me, we can make as many excuses as we want for quarterbacks and why they fail in the NFL and why they don't succeed. But at some point, like I've said before, 
it falls on the quarterback to make those improvements. They can go to people that fix mechanics that get paid a lot of money to do these things. And yet they Mm -hmm. still continue to struggle. They don't fix the things. And I go back to what we really talk about in the draft, Randy, when you're under pressure and when shit hits the fan, what do you fall back on? What you have always done. So breaking mechanics down and overhauling them and making them muscle memory is a long process. It's not a one or two year or three year thing. You have to keep on doing this over and over and over and over again. And I go back to Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, what they had to go through. Dak Prescott's got pretty clean mechanics. You know, there's some slight issues there, but you could tell he's been doing this for a long time. So to me, if Sam's not making that commitment to really improve those mechanics and make this a continuously working type of effort, you know, it's just doomed to begin with, but nice for him to change the scenery. I agree. I would have never given that much for Sam Darnold as much as we want to say, you know, third, third overall pick or, you know, second, uh, yeah, he's a third overall pick in that draft. You know, you, you, you're never going to get what you pay for. And the Carolina Panthers, probably gave up too much. So not a huge fan of it, but maybe Sam gets a fresh start with Matt rule and see if they can fix them. Darnold is always kind of too California cool for New York. And I think because of the pre-draft hype, he has been one of the few athletes in my lifetime that has escaped New York uh, without that much criticism. <laughs> They'll criticize every athlete. I mean, Derek Jeter was about as clean of a resume as you could get. Um, but that man played 20 years in Major League Baseball, won five World Series championships, and uh, was the face of baseball and still arguably could be still. Um, anyway, like he made it out pretty scot-free, but for the most part, no athlete makes it out of the New York media without any sort of criticism. And Sam Darnold somehow has gotten off scot-free here. And part of that, and I'm not saying it's right, but part of that is because of how poorly the Jets did to build around him. And you want your quarterback to develop, but you also want your team to develop. And part of your quarterback development is having stuff around him. And we've seen this with Patrick Mahomes. He is the best example of this. We, we talked about this before the show. Patrick Mahomes is about as big of a project as you can get coming out of college. He lands in the greatest possible situation with Andy Reid as his head coach, with all these weapons in Kansas City, uh, sitting behind a professional quarterback in Alex Smith for a year and turning into the best quarterback in the NFL because of it. That is an organization that understands development from the top down. And Patrick Mahomes benefited from that. Sam Darnold is the opposite here. And Darnold doesn't have the physical ability that Patrick Mahomes has or any sort of the playmaking ability that Patrick Mahomes has. But the Jets didn't help him. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not willing to give him an excuse. But what I'm saying here is that I think that is part of the reason that he is not the brunt of the blame here. New York's going to remember him for the I'm seeing ghost comments on Monday Night Football against the Patriots. When you're mic'd up, can't say things like that. You're going to get killed. I've actually thought he didn't get killed as much as he should have for that. Um, I'll just break down his resume here in his three seasons. Darnold went 13 and 25 as the starter. Uh, He had 45 touchdown passes, 39 interceptions. That's not even counting the fumble problems he had. I think he had more turnovers than touchdowns if I count those uh, fumbles. He's only a 59.8% completion percentage, which is 26th uh, in the league. And he finished dead last in passer rating over the last three years. Uh, And his career passer rating is 39th uh, since 2018, which since he came into the league. So, uh, look, there's only 32 starting quarterbacks when you're less than 32. Not ideal here for Sam Darnold. Now, uh, Matt, with the Carolina aspect of this deal, um, Matt Rule um, kind of welcoming him in here. And I assume there will be some sort of quarterback competition. They 
paid Teddy Bridgewater a ton of money last offseason. And Teddy Bridgewater played okay. If if you ask me right now, gun to my head, who I'd rather have as my starting quarterback, I would say Teddy Bridgewater, and I don't think I would think twice. Yeah, that's why this move puzzles me, Randy. Like, why'd you give up draft capital to get Sam Darnold? Unless you see something in there that you think is really, really special, I, I personally don't see it. You know, I think three years is enough of body of work to see the habits. Um, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a quarterback that was really bad for three years, like 39th in quarterback rating, and then bounce back from that and be an all-pro quarterback. That's We can cite weapons. We can cite a lot of stuff, but it still falls on him. Even if you have no weapons – I remember watching Peyton Manning on some bad Colts teams. You know, Andrew Luck didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of weapons. You know, mm-hmm. make what you want to say about T.Y. Hilton, but he was still better than 39th in quarterback rating. That's that's what really separates him. Tom Brady is another prime example. He's always, you know, in his first 12 years, maybe we could say he never really had any quality weapons until he got Gronk. Mm-hmm. I just. I'm sorry, I take that back. 2007 with that, you know, super inflated team. I got, I have to amend that. But come on, you know, the 39th in the NFL is not going to cut it. I, I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot more than I like Sam Darnold. If you wanted to get a guy, you draft a guy. Maybe they didn't fall in love with what's in the draft. That's fine. Build up your roster. You can do other things in the draft. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like retreads. You know, it, it bothers me. I think Sam has shown enough maybe as a backup, but you're going to be paying him, what, $9 million to be a backup quarterback, and then you traded all that draft capital. I have to assume you're thinking about picking up that fifth-year option at $29 million. Yeah. I I hate this move. Unless Carolina is going to be shipping Teddy Bridgewater somewhere, which is it could still happen in theory. Have I mean, to. he could have – you could you could have a reunion with the Saints now that they are Drew Breesless. Um, Teddy Bridgewater could make a team very happy as a backup quarterback or even as a starting quarterback. I think he's better than a lot of uh, guys that teams are committed to right now. Uh, for, as far as Sam Darnold in Carolina, he's going to have things that he didn't have in New York. He's going to have a competent head coach. At least I think Matt Rule is much more competent than Adam Gase ever was. Uh, he's going to have Robbie reunited with Robbie Anderson. I think DJ Moore is a super underrated wide receiver. Um, you're going to have Christian McCaffrey, which uh, in theory can make every quarterback look better by dumping off the ball to him. And, um, and, you know, and Joe Brady uh, is, is a, as a play caller, I think is much better than anything that he had with the jets. Uh, now I want to ask you a question here, Matt, before we move on from this. If Ryan Tannehill isn't a thing, does this deal not get done? Because what Ryan Tannehill has done in a post-Adam Gay situation uh, is remarkable. He has been so good in Tennessee, and I think people look at this Adam Gase vacuum and just say he just sucks all the life out of everything he touches. Let's go try and revive Sam Darnold. To me, that is the situation here. They're looking at Ryan Tannehill and saying, let's make that out of Sam Darnold. Oh, boy. Oh, God, Randy, that's an excellent question. Um, I have to go back and check what Ryan Tannehill did with Adam Gase. Gosh, I'm not sure if he was bad, bad, like 39th bad or, you know. He wasn't Darnold bad, no. Yeah, so, and and I think Tannehill had some real intangibles there. And he went to the perfect situation in Tennessee. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Matt Rule and even Joe Brady, it's still widely – I don't want to say proven because I think those guys are still question marks. 
where Mike Vrabel, you know, he was a real dude, a real dude, cut off his own man stuff, dude. Um, <laughs> so I, I have to see what Carolina does. I, I'm leaning that no. I, I think Ryan Tannehill had a better body of work going into Tennessee than what uh, Sam Darnold has going in here. And Fami, who's watching, asked if, you know, trick question, but I'm going to go ahead and answer it. Is Darnold better than Andy Dalton? No. I, I'd, I'd I don't rather, think so. Yeah, I'd rather have Andy Dalton than yeah. I would Sam Darnold. I, I think Andy gives you a more steady performance. He can actually read a defense. He's he a professional. I think he's a legit professional quarterback. I'm not sure about that with Sam Darnold. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Andy's firmly like around 20 for overall quarterbacks in the NFL. He's kind of around that 20 to 25 range. Um, whereas Sam Darnold is in the bottom half. That's, that's the nicest thing I could say about him. You know, Sam Darnold's like between 30 and 32. Yeah. Darnold, I mean, did a lot of this to himself. Uh, you know, you get mono in your second year when the team has high expectations for you that, that I don't, you don't know how we got it, but ultimately he did. Uh, and, you know, when you need a quarterback that has to have the perfect situation around him to succeed, you don't really have a quarterback. Uh, you need someone who can elevate the guys around you. Uh, and, you know, uh, Sam's not that guy. He's shown that. All right, Matt Bushnell, uh, in good GMing news, uh, this just brings a, a smile to my face because the Atlanta Falcons are open to shopping, open to trading number four pick. They're currently shopping it with other teams. Uh, and, you know, they have Matt Ryan, so they're not in an urgent position to pick a quarterback at the moment. Um, look, if you're a team in, the, in a position where you don't need a quarterback and you know other teams are itching to get a quarterback and you're in the top five, why not trade down to eight or nine? Or we're at, I just, you know, I wouldn't go much further past 12, for example, uh, and pick up another first round pick in the future or a second round pick or whatever you see with at least see what you have out there because you don't know until you try. I have criticized the Giants for not doing this when they had the second overall pick in 2018. And again, when they had the fourth overall pick last year, the Giants still could have done a lot of the things they still did if they were to trade back and acquired more draft capital. So I commend the Falcons on doing this now. Matt, if there are any teams in your mind here that could be jumping up to four for a quarterback, I would have said Carolina, but now with the Darnold thing, I don't think that's going to be a move. You're looking at teams further down in the teams, I look, I think, right now, right? I think Denver at nine is going to be one to really keep okay. an eye on. Um, I like Denver at nine. It makes a lot of sense for Atlanta to fall back to nine, where they could still get a guy that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh -huh. I think also you could look at a team, um, obviously – the Giants are interesting here because it's how much do they believe in Daniel Jones? Obviously, Washington, I think we talked about it. That That's going to be a that, – that might be a fall too far for Atlanta to go down to, along with Chicago, who is desperate to do something with this quarterback position. I can't imagine they're content with Andy Dalton here, but – to me, I, I think I'm firm in believing that it's going to be Denver at nine if they trade back. I just can't see Atlanta moving past maybe the Patriots spot at 15. Mm -hmm. Still a ways to go. I don't think you're going to get one of the top offensive linemen in there. Um, Pitts is obviously a fantastic player who's probably going to go somewhere in the top six. Mm -hmm. So even if you trade back to nine, you're probably losing Pitts. But you still may have like a Devonte Smith, a Jalen Waddle, or you know if Jamar Chase falls, you may have some of those guys there. 
looking at it, if the Falcons don't see something that they like, uh, they can just stay put and draft, you know, an offensive lineman. There's plenty of value to be had there. Uh, if the Giants trade up to four, I will eat a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so shocked if Dave Gettleman was uh, not in, still in full bloom love, as he called it with Daniel Jones. Uh, he, they remained loyal to Eli Manning for much too long, and I expect them to do the same thing here with Daniel Jones. Um, you know, if they want to trade up and get uh, Penny Sewell, then, you know, hey, I, I could get down with that. But uh, the Giants are not a team that is – they don't really understand how to move around in the draft. I don't think I ever remember them making a trade in the draft in my lifetime. I don't think that's ever happened. The Eli Manning trade, but they didn't move picks. They traded players. But uh, anyway. Well, I think that, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you now, now it's time to put on your GM hat for the Giants because I got two questions. I'll ask you the first one first, and then I'll come up with the second one after you answer this one. Do you believe in Daniel Jones having a long future with the Giants? I think this is the year you figure that out. I'm not 100% sure, but this is the make or break year. I know that's not a, con- a definitive answer for you, but you know they have put a couple more pieces in place for him, and if they can grab an offensive lineman in this draft and help bolster that, then you you can hopefully see what you have in Daniel Jones. Regardless, they are going to stick with Daniel Jones, whether I like it or not. So uh, begrudgingly, yes, the Daniel Jones will be the starting quarterback for the Giants for a while. If he's bad this year, I would move on and not give him that fifth-year option, but what do I know? Do you think the Giants roster is better than the Broncos roster? Mm, maybe. maybe. Uh, I don't think offensively it's as good. Uh, I think the Broncos have a ton of uh, weapons, uh, especially when Cortland Sutton is healthy. Um I don't hate Drew Locke, but he obviously hasn't stayed healthy enough to be convinced that he's the guy either. I, defensively, I would say the Giants have a little bit of an edge, but I still like some of the the, the players. I mean, the Bradley Chubb, Von Miller combo, pass rush wise, it, it's hard to get better than that. So, I mean, it's pretty close. If you if you value you know overall depth, I would say the Giants might have a little bit more depth, but the Broncos have more high end talent on the defensive side of the ball. And, and the Broncos did just get Kyle Fuller, so yeah. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. They got some pieces. Yeah. All right. Well, with the Falcons here, I, I would say the Patriots are the team to look out for here. Uh, I think they want a quarterback in the worst way. Uh, I don't know if the one that they want will be available at four, but uh, we'll see how that goes. If they have talked themselves into fields or to Trey Lance, you know, I could see them moving up to four. We'll see. But the Patriots at 15 might be kind of out there uh, too far to land one of these quarterbacks in, in the first round. So that would be the team I would look out for is New England. Now, I think this news coincides with this next bit of news. And uh, Adam Schefter is the Adrian Wojnarowski of the football world. We all know this. He, when he reports something, it's always true. He's not exactly in the predictions business. So this is why this caught my eye because Adam Schefter this morning on ESPN radio was pretty adamant that he believes that Mac Jones will be the pick for the San Francisco 49ers at three overall, which made me think that the Falcon shopping number four means they wanted Mac Jones at number four. So maybe they are also convinced that the 49ers are taking Mac Jones. That could be me just tying these two things together unnecessarily. But if, if Schefter knows something, he typically has sources and he's typically in the loop. He doesn't always express his opinion or make predictions. That's not what he does. And there's a hundred mock drafts every year that you can go look at, but never from Adam Schefter. So if it's coming from him, I kind of have to think, if there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, and Mac Jones might be the next quarterback of the 49ers. So here's what I think has happened. 
if, if you're taking Mac Jones, Mac Jones is NFL ready to start day one. He, he's not sitting. Yeah. So I think the biggest part right now is if the 49ers are going to take Mac Jones, which I believe Schefter, I, 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 Schefter is not that type of reporter. Jason Lockenfora is. If this came from Jason Lockenfora, I'd be like, bullshit, this guy doesn't know his ass from the hole in the ground. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't buy Jason Lockenfora at all. But if Shefty's coming out and saying this, I mean, he, him and Ian Rappaport are one, two with stuff like this that comes out. I'm, I mean, that, them two and Jay Glazer are pretty much are on top of all of these transactions before they happen. I 100% agree. So my thinking is right now that Jimmy G is going to be a New England Patriot. I, I think the 49ers mm. are going to go get, I'm sorry, the 49ers are going to trade him to New England. I could see that deal being consummated, get some draft capital. They may not get a first round this year. Mm-hmm. The 49ers might be okay with that. Get Mac Jones this year, trade Jimmy G to the Niners, maybe get a third round pick and a first round pick the following year. So that way they get a first round pick that they traded away. Um, you know, the 49ers might be playing chess here. And, you know, we just got caught up in all the news them trading up. Mac Jones, if Shefty says it, I think he's going to be a 49er. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be traded, and he's probably going to be going to the New England Patriots. Yeah, look, I'm not saying that uh, Schefter is right all the time, but you have to understand the difference in reporting and predicting and mocking and sort of boasting your opinion. Schefter is not a big opinion guy. He's a reporter. <laughs> he, he says to you what he's been told. <laughs> that's, that's how reporting works. Uh, so if he's making this prediction, then he has been told uh, by someone uh, in the know that the Niners would be taking Mac Jones and he wouldn't report it. He wouldn't say this. If he wasn't hundred percent confident in it. So I'm going to take his word for it. And uh, congrats, Henry. You finally got, I have all the quarterbacks you wanted in the off season. You finally got your guy uh, in Mac Jones. <laughs> Unless the Jets throw a curveball and pick Jones second overall. That's the only way that doesn't happen. So uh, we'll see what happens on draft night. Anyway. Uh, and unfortunate uh, quarterback news here. We have a Deshaun Watson update and it's not a good one for Deshaun Watson. Uh, there are now 22 civil lawsuits filed against uh, the Houston Texans quarterback. And now two of them are attaching their names to the lawsuits. <clears throat> the first one is Ashley Solis, uh, who's uh, one of Tony Busby's clients. And she um, had a lot of things to say today in a press conference, alleging sexual assault and inappropriate behavior towards Watson. She's the first person to come out publicly among the 22 Jane Doe's listed uh, previously. Uh, and there was another woman who wasn't there, but she had, uh, Lauren Baxley had written a letter to Watson that was read by her lawyer uh, under uh, Busby's law firm. So we have two names attached to this now and that, um, you know, I think a lot of these accusers typically want to stay in the dark because there's a lot of backlash when it comes to this sort of thing. And unfortunately, um, they get attacked and it's not ever warranted. It's not right. So if they are attaching their name to this sort of thing, it tells me that they have nothing to hide and they have nothing to, uh, to lie about here. So I have no other reason um, why I have no reason to not believe them here at this point. I think what really turned the tide for me was Jane Doe 15. And I, I don't know if she's ever going to release her name, but some of the details that she put out there, I was like, okay, wow. But man, there was a, um, the first criminal complaint filed against Deshaun Watson and some of those details are pretty rough when you start reading it. 
I can't see Deshaun Watson coming out of this unscathed, nor should he. I, I am, you know, this has been played out in the court of public opinion. And you can have 18 women sign affidavits that you're just the nicest guy in the world. You know, you, you're uh-huh. great. But it doesn't mean that they know what you do all the time and what you do behind closed doors or, in Watson's case, locked doors. Uh-huh. So to me, I, I, I take this very seriously. I don't think it's something that should be taken lightly. I have three daughters, so it's definitely uh-huh. something that has to be paid attention to. And to me... I believe these women and I mm. think, I think Watson should be out of the NFL at this point um, until this plays out in the courts. Now it's a criminal matter. I want to see how they investigate it, but there's no way and no reason why this guy should not be on the commissioner's exempt list at this point where, you yeah. know, pay him, but just, you know, put him away. Yeah. Uh, the Houston police department is uh, investigating Watson now, which is also new from last week. Um, and look, I, I'm a mama's boy. I have the best friend in the world of my mom and uh, I'm married to, oh, I'm not married yet, but I'm engaged to a great woman as well. So uh, you're going to find some more uh, women's support from me here. Uh, I have no reason to not support them here. I ha- I mean, we as a society often victim blame before we know anything and Unfortunately, it's not not the way I, I uh, would, would go about it. So, uh, and I should point out in, uh, on Watson's side here, Rusty Harden, his lawyer, said in a statement in response to this that uh, Busby's camp sought a $100,000 uh, settlement before the first woman came out to try to, um, before she filed the lawsuit even, to try to, you know, hush, hush. So uh, I don't know if that's just to try to make her look bad, whatever. I, I don't know where this that's heading, but there's a lot of things that go on in our court system that aren't right. And, you know, probably behind the scenes settlements are one of those things, but um, this is unfortunately going to play out in the court of public opinion here in the next few months as this plays out. And what, one thing I wanted to point out here, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts and a lot of football podcasts. And one of them I listened to this past week was commenting on this and they made a good point. And it's between the 22 people accusing him, and the 18 that he got saying that he was a nice guy, that's 40 different like massage therapists or 40 <laughs> different um, people he has seen for treatment. Why the hell would you need to go to 40 different, one, 40 different people? You know what I mean? If you have a massage therapist, why wouldn't you keep going to the same person? You know what I mean? Like, I know you travel all the time. So like, maybe you have a traveling therapist that follows you or you have a team personnel person that helps you out. But the, the fact that you're going to 40 different people tells me something ain't right here something that you have treated women previously not okay to make you not go back to them. That's a large number. I have never really gotten, like I had physical therapy after knee surgery and I went to the same three people and it was in the same uh, firm every time. I'm not a professional athlete, so I don't know how treatment goes necessarily, but I feel like if you know someone and you have someone who's good, you rely on them and you stick with them. So the fact that there's 40 different people within a two year span tells me something's not right. Yeah. When I tore my hamstring in college, um, we had a massage therapist on staff and it, when she was not available, we went to, you know, a doctor that we were associated with that recommended a massage therapist, but it was, all, it was only two people, always only two. And I mean, this is a small school in Iowa, so it's not like, you know, we had the greatest resources that a lot of these teams do, let alone Deshaun Watson and an NFL franchise in the Houston Texans. So the, the number is alarming. 
I I can't imagine that some of this isn't true. It's just too hard. It's way mm-hmm. too far out there. And to put your name on this and what happens in the court of public opinion, especially with some circles of men just bashing the woman and even female fans will go after a rape victim for, you know, trying to ruin their favorite team. I've seen it. To me, this is getting way too ugly for him and he needs to go away for a little while. Yeah. I don't know how he's going to get out of this. It's not looking good for him right now. So uh, we'll obviously provide updates every week on this story as they become available. And um, you know, I'm sure the group will have news as it comes out to um, you guys are great about that in football life. So, all right, Matt, uh, one little bit of news before we move on to our draft segment of the week, uh, your boy, Matt Nagy, <laughs> it came out that he will resume play calling once again for the Chicago bears now with a new quarterback and Andy Dalton. Now we probably, I mean, we might get some complaints here and then that we're a bears giants podcast, but Hey, that's what we're fans of. That's what we know. Um, I want you to do a little bit of talking here about what bears fans can expect now with Nagy returning to the play calling and what you expect the outcome to be here with Matt, uh, with uh, Andy Dalton rather than Mitch Trubisky. Hi, hell if I know I've seen Matt Nagy call plays. Uh, first of all, I, I, I do have to say this. Calling plays, I've done it at a couple of different, you know, levels in youth football. It's incredibly, I don't want to say difficult, but stressful at the same time, because, you know, you have to make sure you do it. I couldn't imagine what it's like in the NFL with having a litany of plays, but that comes from organization. Matt Nagy is going to throw the football. That's all there is to it. You're looking probably at an 80-20 split. Matt Nagy hates running the football. Hates it, hates it, hates it, hates it, hates it. So to me, I think this is lining up in a couple of different ways. The Bears are going to have to draft an offensive lineman to protect Andy Dalton at 20. I have no doubt about it. Maybe they trade back a couple of spots, pick up extra draft capital. But if Matt Nagy is going to throw the football as much as I think he's going to throw the football with Andy Dalton, it's not going to be good. Um, we take a look at the schedule for the bears. It, it is brutal. I, th- I believe last time I checked, it was the second hardest in the NFL for win percentage. And I've said before, this is a five, one team. And if Nagy and pace are getting fired, they're going to get fired their way, which I, you know, I amend them for it. You know what? Go down swinging, but I, I'm here for it, Randy. I'm not going to watch very many Bears games out of my way. I'll watch the tape here and there, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to go to my surrogate team in the Kansas City Chiefs. But to me, th- this is just typical Bears bullshit. You know, just you, you have a lame duck head coach. I know he's got another year on his deal after this one, I think. Or no, this might be the fourth year of Nagy. So, yeah, one more year after this. Who knows? I don't know if he signed a four- or five-year deal. But just – End this, please. I, I just I cannot wait for this time next year when I don't have to hear Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace get up there and talk on the podium because there's no way this team is making the playoffs. I, I, I looked at the schedule. Randy, I don't see it. Even with 17 games, you could give this team 20 games and they're not making the playoffs. Um, so you have an agent, Khalil Mack. Roquan Smith's going to be a, a budding superstar. We don't know what Eddie Jackson is, but the offense, uh, why'd you keep Allen Robinson? You didn't sign him long-term, you know, with a wide receiver like that, you need to make that financial commitment, but th- this team's a fucking mess and Matt Nagy calling plays. I couldn't think of a more perfect ending to this miserable letdown. 
after 2018, we were up here, Randy. We, we were like Super Bowl. This is the mm-hmm. year the Bears are back, and now it's a steaming pile of shit. Mm-hmm. I remember. I remember that uh, double doink game kind of came to uh, all those expectations came to a screeching halt after that. Uh, anyway, I needed to, to bring that up just because you're a Matt Nagy guy, and I wanted to see uh, update the Bears fans on the news of the, the Midwest team. Uh, there in Illinois. I'm not even angry anymore. I'm so apathetic towards this bullshit with this team. You know, just whatever. Just put them out of their misery. Let's just fast forward the season. All right. Well, I'm sorry to all the Bears fans here, but uh, that's the status for now in 2021. All right. Let's talk draft. We are now just a little more than three weeks away from the first round of the NFL draft on Thursday, April 29th, because this is the sixth. That's how uh, math works. Anyway, we talked quarterbacks last week. Now we're going to move on to skill positions and offensive linemen. Uh, we're going to clump them two together, mainly because there's only two offensive linemen we're talking about. So we're just going to throw, talk about them in the end. Uh, so we're going to start off with wide receivers and, you know, tight ends here, or at least tight end and wide receiver hybrid. Uh, let's start off with the LSU wide receiver who could be its receiver on the board for a lot of teams is Jamar Chase, who opted out of the 2020 season. Yep. An absolute stud for LSU. Um, watching his tape, he is smooth. He's fast. He's a playmaker. Uh, he benefits um, from having Joe Burrow and all of these highlights, but nonetheless, I think he's a, an NFL level uh, route runner already. I think he has great hands. Uh, I, I don't see many, too many flaws with him other than maybe his size. He's six foot, uh, 210 pounds. So, I mean, I would like there to be a little bit bigger uh, here, but whatever. I, I'm not that worried about him. A player comps is difficult because there's a lot of guys undersized that do a lot of things that he does, Matt. But I want to hear your thoughts on Jamar Chase before I give you mine. Oh, boy. So, to me, my opinion Jamar Chase is I think he's going to be a really good NFL wide receiver. Um, to me, this is just so hard to choose with wide receivers because I think all three are really good. You got Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, and Jamar Chase. Where you want to throw these guys up at, Jamar Chase – I'll give you a comp that comes to mind, and that's Robert Woods. Um, Jamar Chase may be a faster okay. version of Robert Woods, but I think the hands is there. I think the route running ability is there, and Robert Woods is a really good NFL football player. Jamar Chase has a lot, has all those traits. Mm-hmm. I just would have preferred to see him play more this season. I get it, you know, the coronavirus. I can't take that away from him, but it's to me, it's what more. I need more tape. I need more things I can see here. And I just didn't see all of that. So to me, you know, I like them, but sometimes you just have to kind of go with the obvious pick here. And, you know, Jamar Chase to me is probably going to be the first wide receiver off the board, but I think it should be the second. All right, Matt Bushnell. So here's my thing. I have, when I watch him play and I'll say NFL.com compares him to Torrey Holt and, you know, Torrey Holt is a damn good receiver. Obviously he's a hall of famer for the Rams. I don't know if he's that level, but the problem is when I watched him, I'm like, wow, this guy reminds me of Jerry Rice and Jerry Rice is obviously the top of the top is the best you could possibly be, but I don't want him to put those unrealistic expectations on him. So I came up with a new active player comparison and I thought of Stefan Diggs. Uh, I think that he's smooth. He has the route running ability that Stephon Diggs does. I don't know if he's as quick as Stephon Diggs, but I think the hands are similar. Um, one of the criticisms of Chase is that he doesn't play to his top end speed 
consistently enough. And I think if he does that, you could see him evolve into a player to Diggs' level, especially in the last year. So Jamar Chase, um, you know, he's thicker than even Dante Smith. And I end, I ultimately think he ends with the Bengals because I think that they want to pair him back up with Joe Burrow. So I don't know if that's really what's going to happen, but that's, I think, you know, if you look at the tape and you just watch Jamar Chase, you're like, every ball is almost perfect to him <laughs> and it, it helps so much that he had Joe Burrow. So I can't help but to think about that, but those are the three names that came to mind out of my mind there. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I were to ask you this question, I think it's very simple here. Then we talk about, you know, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and every ball being perfect. Well then maybe Mac Jones is worth the number three pick, even though he had Devonte Smith and Jalen mm-hmm. Waddle. Uh, to me, yeah. I, I like the comp to Stefan Diggs, but even that, I feel like it, it, it's high. You know, you're setting a bar really high for him. And with Joe Burrow, who was excellent that yeah. year, and I think we saw a lot of good from Joe Burrow this year. I just, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to put um, Jamar Chase in that level with Stefan Diggs. I think Robert Woods may be a good floor for him or, you know, middle tier where he plays at. But yeah, I'm just, yeah. God, it's hard to see him go to the Bengals at five though. They need an offensive lineman fierce. And, and I know we're going to talk about the guy, yeah. but you know, I just mm, taking a wide receiver at five. That's iffy. I, I think they should go offensive lineman, but it wouldn't shock me if they went chase there to reunite that duo. Um, I mean, all Chase, you know, he kind of gets a connection, but he looks like also Justin Jefferson. Uh, so maybe that could be a little bit more realistic, but Justin Jefferson and him are similar to me. I think Jefferson's a little bit taller, but they remind uh, me of each other. So, uh, all right. Now, time for the Heisman Trophy winner of 2020, the Alabama wide receiver, Devontae Smith. Uh, this guy is electric on the college football field. He's so fast. He is an absolute playmaker. Um, and there are, there's one major concern with him, Matt Bushnell. Um, he's six foot. Okay. Decent, but he's 170 pounds. <laughs> he has the, the smallest legs, uh, for an NFL prospect I maybe have ever seen. And I think that the NFL teams are concerned about this because, he's not appearing uh, on the top of the receiver charts like, like I thought they would be. He's even coming in third behind his teammate Jalen Waddle at this point. I I, lo- I love Devontae Smith. I, I think what you show on tape is what you are, and he shows up. Mm-hmm. He is a complete difference maker. You know, size matters in the NFL. Let's not kid ourselves. It does make a difference. But, man, Tyreek Hill isn't the biggest guy in the NFL. Um uh-huh. I, I wish I had Tyree kills numbers on me, but I, I think Tyree kills like five ten, five eleven, and everyone's like, yeah, but he's thicker. He's not like bone thin like he is. I mean, one hundred and seventy pounds. I wouldn't say exactly is bone thin. I'm. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> the NFL. How many one hundred seventy pound players make it in the NFL? That's my concern. I'll I mean, look up Tyree kills measurables as you talk. Yeah, I mean, Warwick Dunn was pretty small. Um, he wasn't exactly the biggest guy. So I know, I know that's a running back, but running backs typically take more punishment. I mean, if he can explode off the line, I'm not that worried about it. I, I like Devonte Smith's hands. I like his route running ability, his explosiveness, his speed is real. Um, you know, you, you don't win the Heisman trophy and you don't destroy sec cornerbacks on a regular basis unless you've got speed. So, yeah. 
Uh, Tyreek Hill, by the way, uh, is 5'10", 185. So not too much more than Devontae Smith. They're a little bit shorter, too. Yeah, you see, I, I feel good about that. You know, Devontae Smith can make a big difference. I don't, you know, maybe you take Devontae Smith at eight if you're the Panthers, uh-huh. and that gives you a very explosive weapon, you know, if you want to pair him with Sam Darnold, and then the Sam Darnold crowd can finally say he has a weapon. Or, um, you know, we take a look at other places where he could go. Uh, if he falls to the Giants, I think that's a very good landing spot for him. I would welcome him with open arms. He is a, he is an absolute burner and he's a playmaker. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, I'd be happy with Devontae Smith in Chicago. So, mm-hmm. I mean, look, as much as I, the size worries me, and I think worries most people, I think that's the biggest concern. He really does everything else pretty well. He has great hands. He hardly has drops. He can high point the ball. Um, for a guy his size, he really does get up there and make plays. He's not just a, a, a one-trick pony. I think he's a damn good route runner, too, all things considered. I don't think he's just a straight-line runner. Um, I think he can run on the outside and in the slot. So I think that, I mean, he's versatile. He can be used in multiple different ways. I wouldn't be shocked if you see a lot of teams run. Like, wherever he goes, especially Carolina, uh, could run jet sweeps, sweeps with him, get him on the outside, let him use his speed. Uh, look, the guy won a, a Heisman as a wide receiver. I, I can't stress how difficult that is to do uh, in college football. Um, he really is a, is a, an elite playmaker at that level, and I think he's going to make a team pretty happy. Uh, I do think he needs to put on a little bit of weight here, but um, I don't know what a good NFL comparison is for him. I, I guess if, like, like, Julio was thinner, I would say him. But I, I, Tulio is just a bigger guy altogether, so I don't think it's a great comp. But I, I don't really know who is a good comp for him. Like, if I could cross-compare him to Kevin Durant, <laughs> like Kevin Durant was so thin coming out of Texas and couldn't bench press anything, like that would be my comparison. But I don't know who a good NFL comparison is. I, I, I have a couple of names. I, Steve Smith is one that comes to mind, but Steve Smith okay. is thick. Um, another guy that I really like, uh, and I, I talked about Tyree Kill. I mean, the comp is there. I think the speed, I'm not sure if Devontae Smith can outrace, outrun a cheetah, but neither could Tyree Kill. So um, I, I just think there's things here that we worry about that we shouldn't worry about. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley, I, I think Calvin Ridley, there were some concerns about how thin he was coming into the NFL. That's the comparison NFL.com makes, by the way. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense. I Look, I, I would take Devontae Smith. I don't want to worry about it. If this was like the 1990s NFL where you need a bigger body and, you know, they're just creaming wide receivers in the middle, I would worry about it. But with this new seven-on-seven type of NFL, and you have to be really careful where you hit guys, and I don't think Devontae Smith was very injury-prone, uh, unlike his teammate. So I, I really, really like Devontae Smith, and he's he's the number one wide receiver on my board, Randy. Mm. Numero uno. Look, I think he's going to make a team very happy. I just don't know if he'll be a better pro than Chase. We'll find out. Uh, I know our friend Leanna Tompkins in the comment section says, Devontae Smith makes the Detroit Lions a top five offense. We've <laughs> we've gone through this before <laughs> with Leon. But, hey, I think the Lions would be a good spot for him uh, with Goff and I not having Galladay anymore or uh, Marvin Jones. I mean, they need weapons. So I could see the Lions pulling the trigger on him. And that's actually a really good landing spot. It gives – I think one of the things we never got to see with Jared Goff was having that home run hitter. He had Cooper cup. He had Robert Woods. Mm -hmm. 
It's really, really good. He had Brandon Cooks for he had Brandon Cooks for a little bit, but I, I, Brandon Cooks was kind of beat up by the time he got there. Yeah, I, I I'm not a big Brandon Cooks fan. I never was. I, I never really loved Brandon mm-hmm. Cooks. Uh, I, I think Devontae Smith at Detroit that makes that a very scary offense. I'm not going to say it's top five, Leon. Mm-hmm. That's a bridge too far that I'm not willing to cross. But um, he makes that offense a lot better, a lot more dynamic. Yeah, I think that could be uh, what we see on draft night, actually. All right, to his teammate now at Alabama, Jalen Waddell. And this is part of the Mac Jones criticism here is that he's going to have two receivers going in the top 10, 12 range uh, that he was throwing to the Heisman. But Jalen Waddell was hurt a lot last year, but people would like forget how good of a player he was previously. Um, look, I, I really like Jalen Waddell a lot. He's only 5'10, 182, so he's still smaller frame, smaller body, um, but he's not as. Uh, frail and thin maybe as Devontae Smith is um, you know I his kick returns his hands his route running ability I think he's the total package I don't think he's got burning speed but I do think he's got enough quickness to get some separation and to you know end up making home run plays um, you know as as a Giants fan I feel like I've seen this player before to me watching his tape he reminds me a lot of Victor Cruz the way he runs um, when Cruz was at his peak, he was fast, but he wasn't the fastest player you've ever seen, but he was good enough to make plays, especially deep. Uh, and he wasn't a one trick pony. He could run slants. He could run deep routes. Uh, and I think Waddle is like that. What I think Waddle offers that Cruz never did specifically is um, kick returns, punt returns. And Waddle, I think is an elite player with the ball in his hands and making guys miss. Um, I, I've seen a few plays of his where he just makes corners look absolutely stupid. <laughs> and uh, that is something if I was a, a team in need of a wide receiver, um, I would be like, I, I just want this guy with the ball in his hands at all times. And I'd run a ton of bubble screens with him and just get him in the space and see what he can do. Uh, the NFL comparison that a lot of people are making is Tyreek Hill, the guy you compared to Devontae Smith for him. I don't think he's got the blazing speed that Tyreek Hill has, mm-hmm. but it makes sense given the body, the, the measurables on the frame. So uh, Matt Bushnell, what do you think of Jalen Waddle? The, the explosion is real with Jalen Waddle. He might be the quickest guy in this draft. Now, top end speed, I, I don't think it's there as much, but I, I no doubt the quickness. I mean, he's lightning quick, which I think makes him a perfect, absolute perfect player to fit in a Carolina offensive scheme where you see bubble screens having to run, you know, the end arounds like you talked about with Devontae Smith. I think a lot of that fits Jalen Waddle really well. And I, I wouldn't be shocked, Randy, that the Giants don't get a crack at any of these three wide receivers because you take a look at the Bengals. If they go wide receiver, I, I think it's fair to assume, you know, and I think Leon would agree that Detroit's taking a wide receiver at seven. The mm-hmm. Darnold trade really shakes up this draft a lot because now Carolina, they locked up their offensive linemen. They're not going to draft a guard in the first round. I think we all know that. So I like what they did offensively, locking up their guys. Carolina might go wide receiver here, but they could also go Pitts. You know, they had a really good stint with Greg Olson. Depends where Pitts goes. You know, Miami might take Pitts here, but five, six, seven, and eight, I think you could see all four of those players going. I know we'll talk about Pitts, but yep, I think all four of those guys that's the danger zone if you need a wide receiver and those are your top three guys. Yeah. One other comparison I've seen to uh, Tyler Lockett, maybe a little bit faster version of Tyler Lockett. Um, I don't hate that either, but 
I think he's much more explosive playmaker than Tyler Lott is. Maybe a Doug Baldwin comp there for Jalen Waddle. I don't know. I, Doug Baldwin always seems yeah. kind of smaller to me, but see that too. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. one of those smaller wide receivers. I, I think Jalen Waddle's really good. Um, obviously, Mac Jones had the privilege of throwing to all those guys. So, <laughs> also to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean- Oh, I'm sorry, Randy. I, I don't want to step on your toes here. I was just going to throw in a Trevor Lawrence factoid here. Go ahead. Trevor, Go ahead. Trevor Lawrence may be one of those guys in this draft that doesn't have another offensive player taken in the first round. Alabama could have four. So if, yeah. if, if you need any more belief on how good Trevor Lawrence is, then, you know, we talk about help. Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence was thrown to guys that might not even be drafted. I mean, we'll talk about him later, but Travis Etienne is the only one that has a chance of going in the first round. And even then, I don't, I don't see a team that is, you know, itching to grab, grab, a, grab a running back in the first round. So, uh, just goes to show how good Trevor Lawrence is, folks. Uh, he's the real deal. Uh, all right, moving on now uh, to the man who many say is the best tight end prospect ever, uh, and he could even wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think he has wide receiver speed, but hey, some scouts believe that he does. Regardless, he is has the long span of a passer, I believe, ever, if I read that correctly, uh, which explains a lot. When you watch Kyle Pitts from Florida, uh, the tight end, he has a catch radius of uh, a – I don't even know what. I mean, he literally catches anything that's thrown near him. He is a big bin with long arms, <laughs> and he is great hands. I, I really do like Kyle Pitts a ton, but here's my issue as a Giants fan – I get Evan Ingram and some fits, but ultimately when you have a tight end who is primarily a pass catcher and not a blocker, my mind immediately goes to Evan Ingram. Uh, Matt Bushnell, can you tell me why I am wrong in thinking that? Because Kyle Pitts is a much more steady, productive player. Um, Evan Ingram, I, I, I don't know. You know. You know more about Ingram than I do in the NFL. But he just lacked concentration. He lacks the mental part of the NFL, in my opinion. And it's not necessarily a good thing. It's not something that you want. But to me, I think what makes Kyle Pitts so different is just this guy is going to be professional day one. He's going to run the right routes. He's going to have that concentration. I think he's a stand-up kid. And then he's got all the tools, all the physical attributes you want out of a physically dominant tight end. I don't think he's Evan Ingram at, at all. I think what you could see out of him, high-end Travis Kelsey, I think. I, I, I think you could see that type of run from Kyle Pitts. Mm. So um, I, I like him. I, th- I think he's got all the tools. And he's going to put on a little bit of girth when he gets in the NFL, and that's what you want. And I think he's going to be really good. So I have no reservations about Kyle Pitts whatsoever. Uh, I I do love his playmaking ability. I love the red zone threat that he is, and Kyle Trask uh, often looked for him in that area. He's long. Uh, look, he's 6'6", 240. Uh, <laughs> he's a big dude, and Evan Ingram, I think, is much thinner than that, and I think Evan Ingram's probably faster than him, but um, the biggest concern with him is blocking, and I don't pass catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kittle or I don't 
think we appreciate them enough because they are the total package that can do both of those things. Um, I'm interested to see where Pitts goes and how he's used because he could be lined up in the slot. He could be lined up outside. He could be lined up as a traditional tight end, but when you line him up as a traditional tight end, you kind of know he's not really in there to block unless it's like a chip here and there. Um, yeah. Not be understated. He has amazing hands. I mean, I don't think people realize like you throw the ball anywhere near him, and he's but yeah. he is human as long as he is can help this vicinity he's gonna catch it. Uh, Mel Kuyper, who makes several mock drafts every single year, made an interesting comparison to him. Uh, and it's one of the greatest to ever but he's, he reminds him. Uh, Piss reminds him of Kellen Winslow Sr. Uh, all the way back in the 80s. And um, you know what? I think that's a pretty good comparison because I don't want to just throw the Evan Ingram stamp on him. He just stink and live with him for the rest of his life. I don't think I'm crazy. You said you know, Travis Kelsey was unbelievable. You know, I actually kind of like the uh, Kellen Winslow comparison here, Matt. Yeah, K- Kellen Winslow, Hall of Fame tight end. Um, are we talking senior or junior here? Because, um, senior, senior, yeah, man, Kellen Winslow senior. That was a hell of a football player back in my day. Kellen Winslow was a real man. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I like it. I, I think it makes a lot of sense here. And I think, you know, Kyle Pitts is going to have no shortage of what teams he's going to be wanting to go to. And look, Here's my thing with college football. I think you can find good players anywhere you go, but I think they're harder to pick out. And I'm not saying all SEC players are, you know, hits and home runs, but I think it's easier to evaluate how SEC players can transition to the NFL because they're playing against NFL competition. Obviously it's more spread out than it would be in the NFL where you get the best of the best. But I mean, these guys are playing against top end competition all the time. And Kyle Pitts, I thought was a men among boys in a lot of those games he played. And I don't think Kyle Trask is a, um, he's a project in the NFL. I I think Trask gets drafted in the second or third round. There's a lot of things that he has to work out, but I like Kyle Trask. I don't think he's going to be a, you know, a top tier NFL quarterback, but there's things to like about his game. But, you know, Kyle Pitts wasn't exactly working with Mac Jones or Trey Mm -hmm. Lance here, or even, um, Trevor Lawrence. So to me, I like him a lot. Kyle Pitts is probably my fifth overall player on my big board. I don't have a big board like Mel Kuyper Jr. does, but if I'm setting it up, Kyle Pitts is probably my fifth overall player on that board. He's an intriguing prospect that uh, I could see going to a number of different teams, but uh, I am fascinated to see how teams use him regardless of where he goes, because I think he's very versatile and probably the biggest red zone threat in this draft. I don't think that's even close. Uh, all right. One more primary uh, pass catcher. i say that five times fast. Uh, <laughs> that our friend Jacob Anthony Moses said in the comments, but I want to touch on before we move on to running backs. But Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver of Minnesota, is probably not going to be a first rounder, but I think he's going to be – you're going to see him go early second round. 
Uh, he's six foot, 190 pounds, but he's so solid. And to me, he reminds me of sort of the Corey Davis type, maybe, you know, Michael Gallup type in Dallas. Um, I think he could be a number two wide receiver immediately. Um, but he played in Minnesota. I think Minnesota had a pretty interesting offense, but he has a nice combo of, of quickness and speed with not being oversized, but like having decent size. He's not small, but he's also not that big. But I, I think he actually could be a pretty good pro here. Um, I think he needs to work on getting off the ball a little bit better. Uh, I think anytime someone presses him, it affects his route running ability for sure. Um, and, you know, I don't think he has top end speed, which obviously might hurt as well. But overall playmaking ability, I think he's a solid number two possession receiver in the NFL, Matt. Uh, what, do you, what do you know about uh, this guy here, Rashad Bateman? Good hands, looks the ball into his hands, really good in and out of his cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, he doesn't have top end speed, but you can make up with that with really good cuts and breaks as a wide receiver. So I, I think he's going to do really well. I agree with the possession receiver. I don't agree with the second round. I, I, am, wow. I would bet he's a first round pick as a wide receiver. Um, Will be late then, obviously. What's that? It'd be a late first rounder, right? I could see him going high as 19. I, I think, oh, uh, yeah, Washington. Between, yeah, Washington. I think Chicago's in play. Um, obviously, yeah, Allen Robinson, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with him in a Bears uniform. Um, if the top three tackles are off the board, I, I think Chicago may be looking at a wide receiver because that's obviously a position of need. They have a lot of holes, but also we talked about it. The Chiefs lost Sammy Watkins. The Chiefs don't have a mm. lot of holes. And I think a possession wide receiver in that offense on the outside would go a long way to help them get back because Sammy Watkins is now with Baltimore. I don't want to say Sammy Watkins was a uh-huh. huge deal in Kansas City, but that could release the pressure off of Travis Kelsey even more so. So I, to, to me, I think that's a logical fit for that team. Um, but also, you know, we can't discount the Packers. Packers could use a possession wide receiver as well. They have a lot of home run hitters, not a lot of reliable pass catchers. So, and also the Jets, Randy, the Jets at 24 or 23, I can't remember where they fall, but I know Jacob Anthony Moses likes Bateman. They could, he could be right there for Mm -hmm. them. And that would go a long way in helping Zach Wilson. Yeah, for sure. Um, you took the words out of my mouth with the Packers. We were thinking they were going to pick a wide receiver last year in the first round. Uh, they went the whole draft without picking a wide receiver altogether. So uh, maybe they can get Rodgers another weapon out, uh, opposite of Devonta Adams and, and pick him in the late first round. So who knows? But I, I think he's going to make a team happy with the – it could be late first, but I, I could see him going to the second too. We'll see. I don't really know – I don't have a great vibe of where the runs are going to happen with these players. So uh, and that's what's going to be an exciting part of the draft to see who goes where. All right, Matt, uh, we're going to move on to running backs now. And I, I don't want to spend as much time on a lot of these guys because yeah. I don't think they're going to be first-rounders. But the one guy I think has a chance to be a first-rounder is Travis Etienne, uh, the running back of Clemson. Uh, he has been there for a while. He, I mean, he, he's been a staple for the, the Clemson for the last three years. I feel like every time they're in a playoff game or a national championship game, you hear the name Etienne, you know, 50 times. Uh, I think he has good hands. He runs hard, uh, has overall decent size. Um, I think he's a good, I think he's just going to be a good player. I think he's going to be a solid pro. I don't think he does anything super special. I just think he's consistent. I think he has got a decent frame, 
but overall, I mean, he's 5'10", 215, so he's like a you know, pretty, you know, muscular looking guy. I don't think he's like huge, but, you know, he's got a good size. Um, overall, I think he's capable of being a three down back, but I never know with these college running backs what the expectation is, and it depends on where they go. To me, I would make a pro, pro comp to him uh, for, as DeMarco Murray. I, I think that he can have uh, that level of success. I mean, Murray had some success with Dallas and some success with Philly and then fallen off after that. But uh, I think there's similar size. Um, I don't think he runs like, through people. So I think that's like the similar running style that Murray did. I don't think Murray ever truly like lowered his shoulder and broke tackles like that. So that's kind of where I get the ETN uh, comp there. But ETN's a playmaker. I think both of them had good hands. And that's kind of where I get it from. Uh, in his career, ETN had 78 total times in four years. So regardless, the guy knows how to find the end zone. Matt, what do you make of Travis ETN? To me, he's a early to mid second round pick. I I, I don't love. Um, I, I I just see a you know maybe a David Montgomery type. If I'm drawing a Bears or a Chris Carson yeah. for Seattle, I, I kind of think that's what the type of back yeah. he may be in the NFL. Um, I, I like another back better, but as we know with running backs, it's so volatile on where they go. Uh, we saw Clyde Edwards-Helaire go to, you know, 32nd to the Chiefs or, you know, to, so somewhere in that range to the Chiefs. So to me, I, I look at this draft. Um, I, I think it's safe to say the Bucks may end up drafting a wide receiver, I'm sorry, a running back. I They brought back Leonard Fournette, I believe. I'm not sure. I, I believe they did. Um, so it, it really goes with fit. I don't know who's going to take a running back because it looks like they're all the teams picking – in the late brown or late picks here i mean maybe buffalo grabs a running back i just i don't know you know i i'm not etn's biggest fan i'll say that much i i, I don't see anything yeah. special yeah that's the thing I, I just think he's been there for so long been a part of so many successful clemson teams that people equate him with being a big part of that and i'm not saying he's not but i don't know if his skill set is going to translate to the nfl for a long period of time mm-hmm. but you know situationally speaking if he lands in the right spot uh he will be okay uh so that's probably that's one of the more recognizable names before we get to the two other recognizable names on this list i want to talk about Javante Williams, the running back in North Carolina, who comes in as the second or third top ranked running back prospect for a lot of teams. And I didn't get to watch a ton of UNC, but they have two potential running backs that are going to get drafted here. But, uh, you know, this guy is 5'9", 212. And from some of the tape I've watched, he runs very hard and he breaks a ton of tackles and uh, he's a playmaker. He has good hands too. So have you seen anything from Javante Williams, Matt? I mean, high end, he's Travis or Tractor Cito, you know. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has that type of power. And in the right situation with the right offensive line, he can move people. High end, that's what we're talking about here. Um, you know, with running backs going, you just never know. You, you really know. Derrick Henry, I can't remember where he was drafted at. Um, I want to say somewhere late first, I think, but it escapes me. So it really depends on where he goes, but this kid can play. I like him better than ETN, and I do. There's only one running back I like better, so obviously we're going to talk about him in a minute. Yeah, uh, I watched some of the tape before the show, and I admittedly didn't get to watch a ton of UNC football this year, but he kind of reminded me of Josh Jacobs. Uh, Josh Jacobs is shifting in the backfield, has good speed overall, uh, could be a three-down back in the league. 
And this is the thing about running backs. This guy is the third, you know, ranked uh, running back prospect. He's going to go in the second, maybe third round, and he's going to be a starter for a team. This is why you don't pick running backs in the, third, in the first round, because you can mm-hmm. plug in a guy like this, and he's going to give you a really good run here, especially if you have a good situation for him to, to succeed in. So uh, I actually really like Javante Williams. All right, Matt, uh, I assume the guy you're in love with here is Najee Harris, the running back of Alabama. So I will just give you the floor. Yeah, and Jacob Anthony Moses agree. I mean, Najee Harris is a bull. He's a game changer at the running back position. He has all the elements I love in a running back. He reads his holes. He's patient. um, But when he hits it, man, he hits it. And and it's 150 miles per hour, and he's going to run through people. I I just like that about Najee Harris. I think running backs, once you make a commitment, you got to go. I think sometimes running backs get the little happy feet and they're still trying to wait. A good running back knows where the hole is going to be. His offensive lineman will open it for him, and then, boom, he hits it. So that's what I like about Najee Harris. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of things that you see in running backs that you don't, you know, why they fall. Najee Harris, to me, is going to be a top five running back in the NFL. Now, where he falls to a team, that situation will dictate it. But if he goes to a good football team, uh, you know, maybe Pittsburgh, it's it's going to be trouble for some teams. And I really like Najee Harris. Yeah, just the measurables. He's uh, six. He's pushing six to two thirty. And he's a pretty big guy (laughs) at the running back position. I mean, that's really good size for that. Um, And I I think really Jacob put it best in that he's a bull. I mean, he really runs so hard and is is physical to the attack. And, you know, the NFL.com comparison is Steven Jackson, but I think he's a much more physical runner than Steven Jackson is. I would probably go a different Seahawks running back in Marshawn Lynch. Um, I, I think that he really does bring the pain when he runs. I think he's a difficult guy to bring down his size uh you know is a big part of that um he has good ball security does um i don't think he has great speed but when you're that big i don't think you need it i think as long as you you know i don't think derrick henry came in with you know top end speed for the nfl i think it developed over time so i think it's something that he could work on obviously but um i think he could get out of his cuts a little bit quicker if i had another uh, complaint but overall you know with his size you're gonna get a bruiser at running back and that's really what you're getting here you know, you know, second round for Najee Harris. You think maybe third round? I, I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if he's not a late first, early second. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I see a team like the Jets. I mean, he, he would make a lot of sense to the Jets because mm-hmm. you, you need at least to get some positive yards, especially with a young quarterback. So I like Najee Harris moving the pile, moving those sticks for old Zach Wilson there. Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest Frank Gore guy ever. So, you know me, I, I'm willing to move on from Frank Gore if that's what it takes. Sermon would be a nice guy. I think Salah would use him really well. Yep. Uh, the last guy I want to talk about in the running back uh, position here is Trey Sermon, the running back from Ohio State. He's a guy who I always seem to be wowed when I watched Ohio State play. I really think he made a ton of plays for them. Uh, six foot, 215 pounds. Um, look, I... <laughs> He, he's got good size, got a good build. I think he's, you know, when he's running and he's moving, he's difficult to bring down. He's got good acceleration. Uh, he's similar to Najee where he sort of runs physically. Um, but I think, you know, he doesn't get as low as Harris does. I think that's part of the problem with, with some of these guys is that when you're running, you don't, uh, if you never played running back, you play football, like when you're running, especially as a running back and you're hitting a hole, you're in between a ton of guys. If you're standing up straight, 
someone's going to get lower than you. They're going to pop you. They're going to take your cleats off the turf and it's going to hurt. So he's going to have to work on getting a little bit low here, but I still like the ability to run hard. I think if you don't land a guy like Najee Harris, Trey Sermon could be a nice consolation prize a little bit later in the draft. Yeah. I think the sermon is, I don't know what to say, but I, I mean, I agree with you. That's the biggest knock I have on them. When you run straight up and down, you know, linebackers can pick you apart. And these linebackers in the NFL, the speed difference between linebackers in the NFL and college is probably the biggest difference you'll see. And they're quicker to the hole. And if you are not hitting that hole with your pads low, you're going to get blown up. And, you know, you got to be able to make quick cuts. You got to be quick on your feet. To me, Trey Sermon big 10 knock here you know the the big 10 Mm -hmm. linebackers i I don't love them you know Mm -hmm. micah parsons is a really good linebacker i I think you know more outside edge guy than he is inside linebacker so that really doesn't apply so to me you know trey sermon's had his way with inside linebackers in the big 10 the nfl that game's over with so to me Mm -hmm. i agree with the consolation prize to Najee harris but i I like javante williams better than i like trey sermon so yeah I like like Sermon overall. I think, you know, I watch Ohio State games. He always seemed to make plays and kind of ran with this sort of reckless abandon that made me think that, like, you know, this guy doesn't really care. He's going to run hard and he's going to take you down with him. Or if you're taking him down and you're going down with him. Uh, I don't really have a great comparison for him uh, necessarily. Um, But regardless, I I do like him, you know, as a third, maybe fourth round guy, um, you know, later in the draft. All right, Matt. Let's uh, touch on now. We're going to move on from skill position guys. If we missed any skill position guys you're interested in, uh, you know, post in the comment section. We can maybe touch on them later or uh, maybe in the future show. But uh, we're going to just touch on these two offensive linemen now, Matt, because to me, I- I'm going to let even let you kind of take the reins here because as far as evaluating offensive line, I'm not going to fake it and lie to everyone <laughs> and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm told, and it's these two guys and then a big drop-off, although I've been told there's a lot of guard depth later in the draft, but as far as offensive linemen in the first round, Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, and Rayshon Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, are the end-all, be-all, the two best offensive line prospects in this draft, and these are the two guys you want. And Sewell, I've been told, is a can't-miss player, future Hall of Fame, gold jacket guy, similar to how we were told uh, <laughs> other offensive linemen were in the past but you know you don't hear that a lot about tackles so expectations are already high for me here yeah so let me start off with Slater and that'll kind of lead me into Sewell here so Mm -hmm. so Slater is technique sound I mean he's day one ready to go hand placement's excellent bend is good in the knees he's able to move his feet he doesn't get stuck in the cement mixer he's more NFL good ready than Sewell is so Slater for the immediate is going to be ready to go probably grayed out better. What makes Sewell so crazy. Like the kid's still young. I think he's 19 or 20 right now. So he's not old. He can improve technique, but damn, he is so good. When Sewell reaches his ceiling, which I think a lot of people say, I mean, it's not hard to envision him because he's already really good. He's physically dominant. Sewell's comp is Orlando pace for a lot of good Uh reasons. Um, he's powerful. He's stout in run protection. Um, I'm sorry, pass protection, stout in run blocking. When this kid reaches his full potential, he's going to be the best left tackle in the NFL. That's where he's at. 
we talk about Trevor Lawrence being a generational talent at the quarterback position. Sewell is a generational talent at the left tackle position. This is why Atlanta trading down or Cincinnati taking a wide receiver doesn't make any sense to me because both these teams can build with this left tackle. Cincinnati should be a slam dunk for Sewell. He shouldn't fall past five. If I wouldn't even trade out of five if I'm Cincinnati. That's how good this kid is. But if you don't get Sewell, that's okay because Slater's right there and Slater's not as good. Like I said, I think immediately years one and two, Slater's good, probably going to grade out better because just the technique's more refined. He's more of, you know, aggressive bulldog. Whereas I think Sewell in years three and all the way to 15, you're talking Orlando Pace here, Anthony Munoz. I mean, the Hall of Fame left tackles. You can't go wrong with Sewell, in my opinion. You can't go wrong with Slater. And, and one thing I do want to say, um, people are saying that there's a huge drop-off as far as talent. Yes, when you have two all-pro left tackles that are, that are there, um, there's going to be a big drop-off. But this is a deep offensive line draft. Uh, I yeah. like Samuel Cosme out of Texas. I think that guy, he's big. He can play. Maybe not left tackle, but right tackle, absolutely. So – if you can, you know, wait, if, if you're picking in the low 20s or even second, third, fourth round, this is a deep draft. You're going to get a suitable offensive lineman, um, you know, definitely replacement level day one, I think. So you should be able to nab a starting offensive lineman in rounds two and three, no problem. Yes, I've been told that rounds two through four their guards there are quality. You know, I, I can't tell you the names. I couldn't tell you why they're quality, but I've just said, I've just been told, you know, when you have guys, uh, when you have teams like Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state, you know, have all the success you have uh, also like stacked offensive lines. So you, a lot of those guys you don't hear about. So to me, those are the pieces that might go unappreciated. They're not sexy picks, but they're necessary. So I won't be shocked when, you know, the giants or other teams that have offensive line issues mm-hmm. pick these guards you know there's gonna run on guards at the very top of the second round for sure um you know i'm sorry if we I, we didn't do the, the offensive line justice here in the show and maybe we can go in the future and maybe do that but i'm i, I just i've been around football forever and i can't really pinpoint and how to uh put together the uh tangibles on why offensive linemen are better than one another obviously size and technique are a big part of it but i'm not going to sit here and try to fake that for you uh, I know well, other things, but like, uh, then I do offensive linemen. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say with offensive linemen, three things you got to keep in mind here. Football is a game of aggression. You know, it's a violent game. So the first thing I want to see in an offensive lineman is how aggressive he is. And this is where Slater outranks Sewell for me. Slater's aggressive. He's a mean son of a bitch. And mm-hmm. it's anybody that wants to watch Slater, watch him against Chase Young. He physically dominated Chase Young two years ago. And you guys, everyone knows, if you listen to this podcast, what we think of Chase Young. So to me, (laughs) Slater's technique and his drive, Sewell to me stands up a little bit too much. Watch offensive linemen when they get out of their stance. If they fire out low, they have low pad levels, their feet are okay. You know, they're not overextending themselves. They're not reaching. You see an offensive lineman reach to block, that is a problem because it's not going to get easier for them in the NFL. You get bit, you get beat by speed in college, you're going to get killed in the NFL off speed. So those are some of the things. Hand placement, technique, all, all that stuff can be taught. The NFL coaches are really good with that. But aggression, 
how you come out of your stance and just like, you know, watch the guys. You, you don't want a reacher. You, you know, you want a guy that gets into a guy. Yeah. Look, I mean, you're, when you're playing on the line and football is very much like this in general, but you're moving another man against his will. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and when you're an offensive lineman, and that, that's the mentality you're going in there. Like, no matter what, I'm, you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it. And that's <laughs> – it's a whole other like, – there's no other position in sports like it to me. I mean, it really is uh, in the trenches. I mean, you're at war, essentially. And that's kind of how I look at offensive line play. It's like you're unappreciated, but you're absolutely essential to what <laughs> the team is trying to do. Uh, all right. So I work in the news world, Matt Bushnell. And when you do a show, typically at the end of the show, you like to have what we call a kicker story, uh, a little lighthearted news to end the show. So I'm going to call an audible on this serious draft talk. And we're going to end the show with a little Jeopardy news. Uh, unfortunately, as we know, uh, Alex Trebek, legendary Jeopardy host, passed away back in November. Uh, one of the greatest humans to ever walk the earth. If you ask me, I don't think you could find a much better person in general. Um, but they've had guests hosts since then. And now we, this is where Jeopardy meets the football world because Aaron Rodgers found himself as the host of Jeopardy and he's going to host the Jeopardy for the next two weeks now. And I think he did a great job. I actually got to watch a lot of the episode. Uh, he, you can tell that this is how Aaron Rodgers is. He is meticulous. He prepared for this. He studied a lot of the uh, aneurysms and all of the sayings of, of Trebek and hosts of past <clears throat> excuse me and uh he really had the breaks down he had the questions down he had the answers and like little wit uh little poking fun at all the contestants down uh before i get to the fun part here matt uh did you get the chance to watch aaron Rodgers on jeopardy i have not i'm gonna have to watch that now he's really good um and, and obviously he's a three-time nfl mvp and super bowl champion like quarterbacks prepare you know just as much as anyone else so i have no i was not shocked that he came in this fully prepared uh and one of the segments i want to talk about is the final question the final jeopardy and that's how you end every show show the one contestant his name was scott Schufelt, didn't know the an last answer so usually in final jeopardy you wager amount of money and you write down your answer and then it's revealed your answer and then how much you wagered so he didn't know the answer. So in order to essentially troll Aaron Rodgers, he wrote his answer in the form of Jeopardy. Uh, who wanted to kick that field goal <laughs> in reference to the Packers NFC Championship game against the Bucks when they were down 31 to 23 uh, with like two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then Rodgers was pretty caught off guard by it. And I, I wish I could play the clip with audio. And that's why I'm not playing the clip because the audio doesn't seem to work. But Rogers, uh, after smiling and realizing what had happened, he said, that is a great question. That should be correct. But unfortunately for this game today, that is incorrect. <laughs> How do you think Rogers after the show immediately called Matt LaFleur and just cussed him out? <laughs> I, man, whew. to me, Probably. I think Aaron Rodgers is that dude. Yeah. I, you know, I saw clips of the question. I think Rodgers was teasing it. And yeah. man, yeah, I can't imagine Matt LaFleur getting out of that unscathed. 
unbelievable troll job by the contestant. My hat's off to you, man. That was wonderful. Uh, well done, really. I mean, you have Aaron Rodgers right there. You got to take a shot. And I hope that when he's hosting, you get more football-related shots so we can talk more about this because I love Jeopardy and I don't get to watch it as much as I would like. But once you put it in the football world and give me an opportunity to talk about it on a platform like this, then uh, I will make an effort to watch. All right, Matt Bushnell, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Football Life Presents the Audible, but we have an exciting week of shows because it's the MLBs in full swing now. Uh, every team playing now. Uh, I believe, yeah, the Nationals are back, so they're, they're playing now. Every team's back. Uh, and it's WrestleMania week, so why don't you tell us some other shows we got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Thursday, I think we've got two shows going. Heard from Felipe today. So Felipe Malicio and Sean Flannery will be doing the Total Bases podcast on Thursday, breaking down all the fantasy news. And God knows there is some fantasy happenings. And if you're like me and Fernando Tatis Jr. or dislocated his shoulder, you need shortstop help. These guys might be able to help. Also, like you said, WrestleMania week, Corey Richmond, Jason Brooks, the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast, one of the best wrestling podcasts out there. I love listening to these guys. Interesting takes. Um, if you're not a huge wrestling fan and you're just a casual wrestling fan, they do a good job, I feel, of encapsulating all the promotions that you may find interesting. And there's big news in the wrestling world. Um, Ruffled some feathers. Chris Jericho doing the Stone Cold podcast. I would love to hear Corey's and Jason's take on that. I think that's going to be very interesting with Vince McMahon giving the okay for that. Then also on Friday, we have the Step Back podcast breaking down some NBA action. You know, playoffs are right around the corner. Baylor won the national championship. I'm not sure if you heard that last night. So I'm sure they, they have plenty of thoughts on that. And then on Sunday, it's going to be the Total Basis podcast again doing double duty this week or single du single duty, depending on how you look at your week. But those guys will be going Felipe and Sean again, breaking down more fantasy baseball. And then on Monday, Dong City, breaking down the in-game action, giving you some storylines. Very good show. We love Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. on this show. And then we're back on Tuesday, Randy. Back on Tuesday, more draft coverage, getting ready, ramping up for our humongous mock draft that you and I will be doing. Hopefully we can get a guest on that would like to, you know, uh -huh. work through a mock draft with us as well. And then our football life, we're going to be doing some rapid polls. We're going to start doing, well, I, I will put up three polls a day at certain points, vote for the picks. So that way we can get the NFL life or the football life NFL mock draft completed in time. And I know these picks are starting to get a little bit sparse in talent. Uh -huh. Nonetheless, we'll knock it out. We're going full-blown democracy in football life with this mock draft. So, yeah, feel free to vote on who you think each team is going to pick. And if you feel like there are going to be trades and stuff, we can talk about that as well. Um, I attended Yankees opening day last Thursday with our friend Henry Maldonado Jr. It was so nice to get to see him again. It had been a year and a half since I've seen him, and then we got to go and uh, watch some baseball. Unfortunately, the Yankees would lose. Um, but nonetheless, the Yankees back at 500 now, 2-2, two and two, up 3-0 on the Orioles right now in the top of the fifth. Matt Bushnell, uh, you have a White Sox update for us? Because, you know, we do have a bet about our teams this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. White Sox play. <laughs> It depends on where you're at. If you're on the West Coast like me, they're playing Seattle, so we get the 7-10 game, but okay. East Coast 10-10. But White Sox aren't hitting home runs as much as they did last year, Randy, but they're 2-3. and three. Angels kind of 
Yeah, White Sox had the lead in the eighth inning for three out of those four games. So, you know, the bullpen kind of let the White Sox down. You know, it's a fun adventure, not one that I wanted to be a part of. I thought the White Sox bullpen would be locking things down. Defensively, this team is scary, scary defensively. But, Randy, I still have faith in them. First place, World Series, White Sox, here we come. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping for our bet purposes that doesn't happen. But anyway, (laughs) uh, quick, Matt Bush, number 53, who comes to mind? You have one for me now? I, I, I don't, you know, I, I what the really hell, don't. you know what I just, uh, to, to me, you're letting the people down. I, I don't memorize Jersey numbers. I could give you some obscure offensive linemen <laughs> that no one's ever. <laughs> anyway. Heard of. All right. Last question. Roman Reigns, Edge, Daniel Bryan, who's winning the WWE championship on some, uh, this weekend at WrestleMania. If, if they do it right, it should be Roman Reigns. Okay. You? There you have it. A little bit of everything here for you on the show today. Football Life presents the Audible. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you for listening to us. Wherever you are listening to us, however you are listening to us, we are so very grateful, whether it is on Facebook Live, whether it is on YouTube, whether it is on any of the audio-only platforms. Thank you for making us a part of your day. I'm Randy Hammond. On behalf of Matt Bush, I'll say see you next week. <laughs>